Have you ever been unimpressed with someone who had the reputation of being impressive? Yeah, right? This week. Let me just bring you to a hard place right away. Um, this week, Canadian hockey lost. <laughs> like, how dumb is that? Who are the brain trusts that got together and they're like, ah, we're going to, I don't know, let's, let's move around the neighborhoods and, and pick any guy. What was awesome was on CBC, we're watching it, and it would show the name, and it says zero seasons in the NHL, right? I don't, I don't know if that was like they're trying to stick it to whoever made that dumb decision uh, not to play them, but Canada is supposed to be impressive at hockey. This is like no-brainer gold medal, uh, and we won the bronze, barely. I don't know what happened to the goaltender, but barely. Very unimpressive. But I watched the game like half-heartedly doing other things, being like, oh, of course they're going to win. It's Germany. What does Germany have to bring to the hockey rink, right? Apparently a lot. Apparently a lot. Um, I picked up a a very well-known speaker, theologian uh, from the airport one time. It was my privilege, right? Someone said, oh, you get to pick up this guy. I'm like, oh, it's so awesome. It was 10 years ago. I had this like little death trap for a car. And uh, they're like, yeah, you'll get, you'll get a lot of good time with him. I'm like, oh, cool. So I had my, like my list of questions ready for this guy. Uh, it took, his flight was delayed. So I went inside. I had no money, paid for parking, whatever. Montreal, it's like $3,000 in a small mortgage to park for 10 minutes. Went inside, waiting for this guy, like kind of eagerly, like I have a hard time standing still. So I'm like rocking back and forth like and he finally comes out and I recognize him I'm like hey hey I, I'm your ride like I, I'm the guy he's like oh good you know I'm like oh, okay cool like let me grab your bag let me do this and I'm like dude I'm so glad you're here I have so many questions for you right and I don't know what this guy was going through I don't know if he didn't get the peanuts he wanted on the flight no idea they gave him pretzels instead they didn't have coke zero they gave him diet coke little gassy don't know but like dude was not happy I was there to get him and I'm like, this is my opportunity. I want to plant a church. I want to plant churches. I want to plant churches. Like, I have all these ideas. What do you think? And it was like one word answers. And, and I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, I've experienced this before. Fine. Driving along, almost getting an accident. And I'm like, you almost died. Were you ready for that? Like, just kind of joke. He was not in the mood to joke, right? <laughs> not in the mood to joke at all. But this is a kicker. Uh, next day, I see him at the thing that had been arranged, right? There was a little seminar thing. I walk up, I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, hi, my name's so-and-so. And I'm like, you're a tool. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, hey, just introduce myself. And like, that was it. And I don't say that. She's like, ah, oh, poor Dwight. That's why he doesn't like hugging people. Or that's why, like, that wasn't a, a, a culture-shaping moment for me. It was just like a... Wow, here was a very impressive individual, read his books, studied under some of his stuff, uh, had all these questions, and it was just like, Phew. and that happens all the time, that we, we expect, we expect that these impressive people from afar actually, you know, live up to the reputation that they have. And again, he might have been having a really bad two days, I don't know, but we expect for these people to live up to their reputation. And I say all that to say that this is what was going on in Sardis. 
This is the church at Sardis. Now, Jesus writes seven short letters in Revelation 2 and 3, just before he gets into all of this wild apocalyptic literature that we're not going to get into in the series, but hopefully we'll come back to it at a later date. But he writes these seven letters. He's communicating. He's not far and distant. He's near. He knows what's going on, and we'll see that this morning. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Sardis. I, I've shared a little bit uh, about each city. Jordan shared a little bit about the city he was preaching about. Um, and so Sardis was this active commercial city, extremely wealthy, lots of money, lots of bling, gold teeth everywhere, like crazy, like dumping out money to start fire, like very, very wealthy place. And they were set on this impenetrable hill, Right? It should have been impossible to be able to go up and defeat these people because of their location. If you've been to Quebec City, this is another sad reality, uh, the Plains of Abraham, you oversee the St. Lawrence River. No one should be able to make it down the St. Lawrence River without you knocking them off, right? And yet that's where the, the battle was won. So this impenetrable cliff, no one should be able to take Sardis, but it was captured twice in its history. Now, do you know why it was captured? Historians go into great detail to basically tell us because they were lazy. Because they were lazy. They weren't prepared. They weren't on guard for the attack. They sat back, gold teeth in their mouth, chilling. Because no one can break in to this place. No one could, could overthrow the marvelous Sardis. But somehow, the gospel, okay, gospel, I'm going to use that term this morning. Gospel means good news of Jesus. I'll define that later. So if you're like, I wish this guy would define his terms, I will later, all right? So the gospel had broken into this place, though. This place didn't know about Jesus, and now there was a church, which meant that there were people gathering and living life together as a family of servants on mission, or should have been living in this way, but the gospel broke into the city. We don't know who brought it in. It could have been Paul, uh, something it was the Apostle John, but most people say, if we're honest, we don't have any idea how it got into this city, except that's what Jesus does. Something significant happened in the city as well that the church gained a really good reputation. We don't know what that is, but this church had a really good reputation. If you talk about the church of, of Sardis, it's like, oh yeah, I mean, that's legit. It's legit. They're giving away gold teeth. Like things are going so well there, right? They had a really good reputation. But what happened was they became, the church became like their city. Not in all of its craziness. Last week we looked about at the teaching of Jezebel and what that looks like to look like the city and, and sexuality and sexual immorality and those things. But they just looked like their city and that they were, they were lazy. They were comfy. It's all good because we're all good. This was the mantra at Sardis. So here's a letter from Jesus. You can imagine what kind of letter this is going to be. Let me start it out here. Revelation 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Hmm. Warm and fuzzies. Jesus does that all the time. Uh, who Jesus is. Jesus starts these letters out with who he is, all right? So we'll look at that in just a second. But what we have to realize is that this is apocalyptic and prophetic literature, which means that symbolism is everywhere. 
Now, this isn't like the Bible code or Da Vinci code or something you need to go and take and like read it under a gold plate by yourself under a little tarp or something. It's not that, all right? But what we need to do is we need to pay attention and realize that a lot of the things that Jesus is saying aren't literal, aren't literal. They're pictures to describe something that's literal. So, here we go. Uh, in this verse, spirits, let me explain this, seven spirits of God. Now, if I were to do a very quick theological class with you, which I don't have time to do this morning, we would come to the understanding that there's one spirit of God. One spirit. All throughout scripture. Then we get to Revelation and it's like seven spirits of God. What is happening? Like John got to the end, he's like, ah, 66th book, I'm going to rewrite everything. It's going to be crazy different. Here we go. Not that. We need to remember symbolism here, okay? So John freaks out over the number seven. He loves the number seven. You're gonna see it all over the book of Revelation, but seven is the number for perfection and completeness, okay? So seven is perfection and completeness. If we go back to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, God made all things seven days, including his day of rest. Complete perfection. Despite what your view on Genesis one and two is, it represents completeness and perfection, okay? So, there's not seven spirits of God in the Bible, but there's one. There's a perfect, complete, one spirit. We see the same imagery. I'm doing a little bit of work on this, all right? Because I want for us to, to understand what's happening here. Um, if we see, man, I don't know what's going on in the slides. Is there a Revelation 2, uh, verse 5? There we go, boom. Um, from the throne, here we go. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Here we go. Ah, oh, seven spirits of God. There's only one spirit of God. But what we see is that there's, there's seven torches, seven lampstands, all right, in, in Revelation chapter one, which are the churches. So the picture that John is, is showing us in Revelation chapter three Verse one is that the spirit is the one that's igniting the church. So Jesus has the spirit of God with him, with the churches, and Jesus is empowering the church through the spirit. The church does not move if the spirit doesn't move, just doesn't. So the spirit of Jesus is empowering the church to grow. And in this letter, Jesus is presenting the spirit in this way because Jesus is saying that the spirit wants for you as the church to wake up, to wake up. And he'll give them that direct command in just a moment. But he wants for the church to wake up by the power of the spirit, not to, to religiously just shake us, but to allow for the spirit to wake us. This is what Josiah encouraged us to do at the very beginning. So if you're here this morning and you're like, ah, I'm just here to, to kind of check off this, this box of, of religion, or I'm just here because I do this every week, would you in, in your heart quietly right now say, Spirit, would you awaken me to what you want to say this morning? Because I believe he wants to say something. Because it's him that's actually leading this church and all churches. Now, we also saw that um, there were seven stars and Jesus defined these in Revelation 1.20. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches or the messengers, 
Okay, that word for angels could be, um, could be translated messengers as well, angelos, okay, angels, messengers. So Jesus has the spirit and he has his messenger and now Jesus is ready to talk. He's ready to speak to his church. He's the one that's in charge. We saw last week that he is a sovereign one. He's a true morning star that's in charge of everything. So let's go to work as if we haven't been at work already. Uh, Revelation 3, 1, he says, I know your works, second half of the verse. I know your works. Jesus isn't a distant CEO. He's not someone that's looking, seven spirits. I know there's one, but seven spirits. Let me keep up with the imagery. Come to me, present your reports. Present to me the things so that I can oversee everything from far away and just let you do all the work, right? Bring me your, your Google Sheets. Not that. Jesus is not a distant CEO. He's, he's involved. He's in the grime. His hands are dirty. He has dirt underneath his fingernails. He's gotten his hands dirty in this plan of God to change everything, right? He's fully involved. He's on board. And Jesus isn't just on board by, by working in the grime. He's in tune with your motives and my motives and the motives of the church of Sardis. He's at work in why you do the things you do. See, religion tries to manage what you do. Religion says if you do the right things and don't do the wrong things, then maybe God will look at you one day and say, you're a good little girl or boy. Come and be with me because I only take good boys and girls. That's not God, by the way. God only takes formerly bad boys and girls. God only takes those who are on the naughty list and he comes and changes them. And we'll look at, at how this morning. But Jesus knows the motives of our hearts. And that's what the good news of Jesus goes after. Not just behavior modification, right? He starts with the heart. Because if you get someone's heart, John Calvin, a great reformer, um, he called the heart the, the motivational factory, right? Where all our motives are born. So if you get the heart of someone, you get the behavior. With our kids, Jess was saying before, be kind, be kind. It's easy to yell commands, but that won't change them. But if you get their heart, if they understand that God is a good and kind God who did something for us that we would never be able to do for ourselves, and he actually came in and he's given us a new heart for those of us who have asked him for that. And he actually changes the seat of affections, the motivational factory, so that we actually can be kind. And it's not with the kindness that Dwight or Jess or any of us muster up, but it's actually the kindness of God that's going out towards people. So, so people get to experience the kindness of God through his people. We're not about religion. We're not about modifying your behavior. Jesus is about your heart. He wants your heart. And if he gets your heart, he has all of you. So Jesus is going to give a critique of a heart dysfunction. Church of Sardis your heart's dysfunctional. Your motives are broken. They're not connected to the right place. So here we go. Reputation. You have a great reputation. Your reputation is alive. People think of the church of Sardis. Like, oh man, it's amazing. It's everything that we would want for our church to be. What would give someone that idea? Well, the face of things would look great. On the outside, everything looks wonderful. So today, let's just bring this right away into our day because we can't go into all of what it could have meant then. What would it look like for, for a church today to be successful? Well, here's a few things. Number one, we'd have money. If we were a successful church, we'd have money. 
Because we would have convinced you that this mission is so great, that our needs are so great that, that you're like, man, I want to give money. I want to give money to support the things that are moving. And you guys are being super generous, by the way. Uh, we're 114% of our budget, which I don't think has happened in years, which is great. Now, don't be like, oh, good, I'll keep that 14%. No, don't do that. For those of you that need to hear this, those of you doing well, close your ears. We're under budget, right? We want a lot of money so we can plant a lot of churches, send out a lot of people, right? So we're like negative budget, all right? Don't, eh. whatever you need to do, whatever mind games you need to play, go. Uh, money, but you'd have a lot of money. Location, if you're successful, you're in a great location that people wanna be at, right? Location's important. Uh, if you're a successful church, you're going to be creative and hip, right? Be someone like drunk. I, I want to be careful. I'm not making fun of anyone or anything. I have no church in mind as I'm sharing these things, okay? But I know that, that people try and move this, this, preaching, word, God speaking over here so that we can bring creativity in, right? Because to be a church that's relevant, you have to be cool and hip. And as I said last week, we can be the most cool, hip, damning church in the city. You can be as cool and have as many arts programs and all these things, and these are great. These are not bad things, but when you take God and you say, hey, to reach our city, we just need to put you over here for a minute next to the monitor that sometimes works and doesn't work. And we're gonna get some, some things going over here so that, so that people say, oh man, I can, I can actually engage with this church. And we keep the theology, the, the hard stuff, the rebukes, like you'd never preach Revelation 2 or 3. You would never preach rebukes. You would say things like hashtag best days yet to come or, or whatever. These types of things. And I say, that's fine. That's fine, do that. But you have to engage with Jesus because what Jesus wants to do in all of his churches is he wants to bring God back into the center of everything and have men and women move out of the way and let him speak. His words are sufficient. This is why we wanna preach from the Bible so that I don't think I'm, I'm slick or cool or hip enough to say something better than what he said. And if you think, Dwight, you're choosing some pretty hard things to go after, it's not me. It's not me. The church needed to hear this at this time, and I believe that we as a church need to hear these things as well. Reputation, alive, because you're creative and hip. You definitely have a, a great website. Um, we're working on a local website again. We have a provincial one because we're one church in uh, several locations, but we want one for downtown Montreal. But if we wanted the reputation alive, we'd have a better website. You'd have flawless performance. Like last week, the lights thing would have just, oh, it would have killed us. It was hard. It's hard to not be able to see people. Um, but like that just breaks you because you can't be, you can't have a reputation of being alive without lights. Um, people, you'd have lots of people. You'd have lots of programs. You'd be very busy. You'd have some past accomplishment that everyone is talking about. Remember that day when? Remember that day when? Remember that day when? But it's always in the past. Do you know what else is in the past? Museums and institutions. They're not living anymore, right? Let's go visit the mighty Persian Empire. Not moving anymore. You can go visit the artifacts, but the empire, not in, in control. 
We don't want to become a museum. We don't want to become an institution where we talk about the good old days of when this thing used to happen or used to be this way. But for them in Sardis, there was some past accomplishment that they were clinging to, and they're just on this boat, sipping fruity drinks. If you think you can drink alcohol, had lots of it in it. If you don't think that you can, definitely had nothing in it. For some of you, Jesus was talking about wine. Some of you, Jesus was talking about grape juice. You're all welcome here, okay? It's great. It's a confusing word, all right? But boat cruising, everything's great. Handed peace on. It's amazing, right? This is the church. And then the wave of Jesus hits them, right? Jesus in his kindness comes up like a wave and just, oh, fruity drink's gone. <laughs> and you gotta go back to shore. But before you go, let me tell you something, right? This is Jesus' kindness, Jesus wakes them up. Now, before we move on, I want, I want us to just stop for a second and put ourselves in that place. Everything is going so well. Everything is comfortable. There's lots of money. There's lots of programs. We're really busy. We're like, oh, man, life is so good. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You know, just individually and for us as a little group, it's so, so amazing. So amazing. And then Jesus bumps us. Maybe Jesus has to bump us this morning. Maybe that's the intention. So here we go. Reputation is alive, but you're dead. You're dead. Now this is hyperbole. It's not Jesus literally speaking to dead people. But this is, this is a dangerous place to be because this is emphasizing the spiritual state of the church. You're like dead. Everyone outside thinks you're alive, but it's like you're dead. And it's not because you don't stand up and raise your hands or get loud or say amen when Dwight makes a good point, uh, though you're free to do that. It'd be weird at this point now. I'd probably respond and be like, oh, what, what did you think of that point? I don't know, wouldn't know how to do that. Sometimes now, I think, I think Church 21 has ruined me in a good way. It's great. Um, because now I'll go and preach other places and they're more vocal and loud in other places sometimes. And someone will say like, preach. And I'm like, I am, <laughs> I'm preaching. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I don't know, I can't get louder. Like, or they'll be like, oh, it's so good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, like, what did you think of that? You know, I don't, I don't know how to deal with it. So thank you. Thank you for letting me stay in my own mind as we're going through this. Um, but you're dead. You're dead. Jesus sees beyond the logo and the website. Jesus sees beyond the programs and the busyness. Jesus sees beyond the, man, everything's good. It's great. It's amazing. Free to drink. Both hands, double fists. Oh, it's awesome. Jesus sees beyond that and sees into our motivational factories. He knows what's going on inside. So it's possible to be a church with lots of people, lots of programs, lots of money, very busy, and we're doing those, all of those things out of the wrong motivation, and we're actually doing the wrong things. Now, when I say the wrong things, I don't mean bad things. I don't think Sardis was doing bad things, but they're doing the wrong things. Do you understand the difference? Wrong is when you're given something to do, and you say, yeah, I'm going to do something like that. That's wrong. It's not you're saying, I'm going to go the opposite direction, right? So not a bad thing. I don't think they were doing all kinds of crazy sinful practices, uh, but they're off. You have the reputation of being this, but you're this. And this is dead. This is dead. It's not moving. 
Now we talked, when we, when we looked at uh, Ephesus, the church at Ephesus in chapter two, uh, the beginning of chapter two, we saw that they had given up on mission. And this is what most commentators think happened here as well, that they had just given up. They, they, they rallied enough people together to get some sort of uh, momentum and then plateaued and just stayed there because they were like, well, we're busy enough. We have a lot going on. Uh, how could we handle more people, right? So what is that saying? How could we handle more people? Well, that means that you became the lampstand. You said, hey, Holy Spirit, we got it from here. <laughs> Don't need you. We can manage this now. Well, that's a dangerous place to be. Because the spirit of God wants to keep breaking into new places. And not just new places in the city, but new places of your heart. I was talking to someone this morning, and uh, we were talking about how they were following Jesus now in ways they were maturing. And they said, oh, something to the effect of, man, I, I wish that, that I was at this level. And I said, bro, all that the Lord has given you this far is, is right here. So just listen and obey this. And, and, and when you need to be there, God will, God will speak to you here and you'll listen and you'll obey there, okay? But the church had heard here and they were saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm done, I'm, I'm out. We're, we're gonna keep this thing going, moving out of our own strength. They shut down mission and they shut down growth. And this is where Jesus goes after them later on to say that your works are not complete. In verse two, it says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Because we're walking around with this idea that is good enough, man. It's good enough. Here's God's vision for the church. No, let me go bigger than that. Here's God's vision for the world. That God, through Jesus, would reconcile to himself all things. So God, though he never sleeps, he would never wake up and be like, good enough. It's good enough. God is always pressing into darkness in our hearts and in this world to bring light. To bring light, to shine light into darkness so that we would find our true value, meaning, and purpose. That's what we're all really looking for is value, meaning, and purpose. And God wants to shine a light on that and say, you can have these things. They just come through Jesus. The church had given up, the church in Sardis had given up on their identity that Jesus had given them as missionaries. Now, for some of you, you're like, I didn't receive that identity. Yes, you did. So when we baptize people, Okay, Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, I want for you to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we baptize them in the name of the Father, it's like you have a new dad. You're family with us now, and you're family with him. We baptize them in the name of the Son. The Son, who was king, became a servant and gave his life up as a ransom, right? Serving. And so now we're servants of him. So we baptize them into being servants. And we baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loves to make much of Jesus. Uh, someone once said that if the Holy Spirit had a bedroom, he'd have Jesus posters everywhere all over it because that's what the Spirit likes to do. He loves to show who Jesus is. And he wants to do that through his people, not just the paid people, but all of the people. Not just through the clergy. That's been one of the lies in church history is that the clergy is to do the work of the ministry. The clergy lied. 
Ephesians 4 says that there are some that are given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the church, the people of God for the work of ministry, which means that all of us who are the people of God are ministers. We just get paid from different people, but it's, we're still ministers of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. But here's the unique thing in Sardis. Other churches were being persecuted. They had false teachers. They were being killed. Heresies. No, 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 not Sardis. Sardis was unique in that they weren't troubled by false teachers, heresy, or opposition. None of that existed in Sardis. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that kind of like the church in the West? Well, I mean, if that's what you want to believe, it's fine for you. It's just not for me, right? Sardis was tolerance before tolerance was a thing. This is what was going on. Well, that's, that's fine. You guys can believe that. Whatever. Like, do your thing over there. We'll do our thing over here. Not a big deal. That this church of Sardis was the only church in these seven churches that wasn't worth persecuting. They were persecuting themselves. And they were persecuting themselves in that they were turning in on themselves. They, they had changed from being for the mission And now they were the mission, the mission to just take care of one another and keep things moving and going out of their own strength. You see, the good news of Jesus that was planted in the world, uh, Sardis just uprooted that, brought it into the building where they met and put it there. They said, this is a good thing. So the seed of the gospel, instead of going out into the city, was now sitting inside of a building. And how much good does seed do sitting inside of a building. Probably like a little potted plant that can only grow so big. But God's vision is to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus. See, this was a very comfy church. And this is where Jesus' humor enters into his rebuke. Most of you, um, not most, but some of you might think that Jesus was this very stoic figure, always doing this for some reason. Right, like, just very, very strange. But Jesus is hilarious, even in even in his rebukes. Like he's trying to lighten the mood. I think Jesus was probably a very funny guy. How do you hang out with some of the roughest people in town unless you're funny? Right? It usually doesn't happen. But here's what Jesus says to the church: You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So Jesus basically just calls uh, this church, uh, the church of the dead and soiled, or in, in our terms, the poopy church, right? I mean, seriously, this is what Jesus does. He says that you are like someone who has just soiled themselves, and you love it. Uh, this past week, I took out uh, Sadie and Stella, my two little girls, love them, amazing. We went out, uh, Sadie got some birthday money, went to the bank, cashed all that. She, she heard how much the conversion rate was. It went from like under 100 to over 100. She's like, this is amazing, you know? Um, and she was like counting it and playing with it. 
But we went, we were looking at toys, and I'm in the toy store, and we give Stella, okay, I just, just, uh, I give Stella um, a little bit of freedom, right? I, I watch her and let her, like, walk around. Definitely watch her all the time. Uh, never, never had a panic moment ever, all right? So I, I watch her, uh, but all of a sudden, it, there's not many people out Friday mornings, okay? All of a sudden, I get this, this, this smell, this smell. And I'm like, either someone is ripping farts, and there was like an older person over there. I'm like, well, I have two culprits. I don't know. Uh, or I'm getting old enough, or I don't even know I'm doing it. Um, but I'm like, okay, two places this could come from, and I guarantee that it's, it's my little one over here, right? So I go over, and I'm like, this is how I talked to her. Oh, you did a poo-poo-poo-poo, you know? And, uh, and she said, no. I'm like, a pee-pee-wee-pee? Uh-huh. No, you actually pooped. You know, you, you pooped. And she's like, no. Because she knows that that means we're going to leave the situation that we're in, right? So she is content to sit in her turd, right? And like, I'm carrying her out of the the mall. Like, you know, it's not great. Carrying her out and like, free fragrance, the fragrance of something, right? I'm walking out and she just doesn't care, right? And, And you change her and it's almost like she's upset that you're changing her. And that was a really good picture for me of the church of Sardis. That you, you've soiled yourself and you're okay with it. You're so comfortable, it's, it's warm. Now, I'm not trying to be crass here, okay? You're taking it there, not me, all right? It's all your fault, not mine, right? But it's just like, ah, this is okay. Like, like I'm used to this. This is my new environment. The church has made themselves like that. That as long as it's warm and fuzzy in many different ways, then this is, this is okay. But the problem with this, and when we look at, at soiling or, I'll use a kid's term, poop, that's what first comes to mind, all right? When, when we think of that and, and we look at scripture, anytime the Lord uses this, it's to show that we're pursuing something other than him. Isn't that so kind of him? He says, here I am, I'm glorious, I'm marvelous, I'm wonderful, look what I did for you. And Jesus, everything else is, is poop. And it's really nice of him to do that. Because when we think about poop, it's like, I don't want to go after that. I, I want nothing to do with that. Well, the alternative is to come after me. Because nothing can satisfy you. Nothing will last. And if you go after those things, it'll be a stench. So what Jesus is also saying to this church is that you're becoming like a stench to your city. Right? Walking Stella out of, of the mall, she was becoming a stench to the entire mall. And Jesus is saying, you're like that. No one wants to come into that. No one wants to enter into the church that soiled themselves. Like, oh man, how do I get engaged? This is going to be so great. I can't wait. Right? No one wants that. No one wants to die for the message of religious comfort. Nobody. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, lay down your life. I'll give you a new life. Jesus didn't say, come, take the soiling, take the religious comfort, take this little community that's not going to care about the rest of the village or the city. No one wants that. No one wants to buy that. That's unenjoyable. No one wants to lay themselves down for a diaper. Like they just don't. It's not worth it. 
People say, show me. People say this all the time to me. Show me that Jesus is worth it. Show me. I don't want to hear it. Show me that he's worth it. This church didn't really understand that they were to be enjoyers of Jesus, not the comfort they were deriving from their spiritless, blown out candle. Look at this quote, Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite theologians, 18th century. He says, if we choose Christ for our friend and portion, we shall hereafter be so received to him that there shall be nothing to hinder the fullest enjoyment of him to satisfying the utmost cravings of our souls. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is epic. It says that you and I were rebels of God, so against him in every way, motivation, action, thought. Everything was against him. And do you know what he did? Instead of taking this cosmic two by four out of of the heavens, dropping it down on you, somehow honing in on, on the little you and knocking you out of this world, he instead sends Jesus, his son, who's always been with him, also God, never had a beginning, will never had an end. Jesus came and he took on flesh and he lived a perfect life that you and I can't live. He lived in full obedience, full enjoyment of God. And Jesus, the only one who should never have had to die because death was something we brought into creation by our rebellion, Jesus took on our death on the cross so that you and I could receive life, so that you and I could could see that we are valued by God, that we have meaning and purpose, and not just for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years, but forever. That without reducing this down to a, a little idiom, you are, you are the apple of God's eye. That God loves you so much that he was glad to send Jesus to die in your place because your death couldn't be the sacrifice to save you. Your religious efforts couldn't be enough to bring yourself back to life. It was only his life that could do it. And the good news isn't that we have a dead savior that we go and visit sometimes. Um, He's risen from the dead and he's actually here with us right now. He's not distant. He's, He's here roaming the aisles saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to this, listen to this, listen to what I have to say to you. He's resurrected. Showing us what kind of life we're gonna have, a life without death. That's beautiful. If, if we allow for our minds and hearts to get around that, this life without death, that, that, that when death touches our bodies here, we enter into this life where we get to see God face to face and he says, I, I will be your God and, and you will be part of my people and you get an inheritance that my son earned. It's, it's for you and you get a place here. It's not far and distant somewhere in Norway where they earn lots of medals. It's, it's here, it's connected to my house. I'm building onto my house. This, Jesus says, my father, he has many rooms in his house, right? And we get this weird idea that like Jesus is up there sawing away, building me a mansion. Being like, man, I can't wait till Dwight gets here because he doesn't like pink, but I made him a pink mansion. <laughs> Joke's on him, right? We think like that's something Jesus is doing. No, it's that, it's that the father is adding on to his house, that we get to be part of, of God's house, we get to live and dwell, and, and, and Jesus will continue to serve us. Even in all of eternity, when we should only be serving him, he will also serve us. This is crazy. And this good news is for anyone. 
This is why Jesus rebukes the church for saying, you're sitting in your own feces. You're sitting in your comfort. I want for this message to to go into all of Sardis. I want for some of you to get down off of this cliff and go and, and continue reaching new places that only exist in darkness so that the light of God will be brought to those new places. The gospel was never intended to stay in community or a Bible study. If you study the Bible, the Bible always has to go out. We end the Bible studies usually with like, amen, man, that was really great Bible study. But the question should be now, how are we gonna live? How has this changed our living? What are we gonna go say and do as the ambassadors going out to declare that Jesus is alive? It's not about getting a better RRSP. It's not about winning the hockey game in the next Olympics. It's not about having kids or not having kids, getting a spouse, not having a spouse, having a girlfriend, not having a girlfriend, graduating, not graduating. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about the one who came and loved you so much that he died, gave away his life, and he's alive, and he wants to give that life to everyone, and he wants to use you and me for that. This is cuckoo, because I know me. I know my motives. I don't know you. Let me guess who you are. Your motives are kind of like mine. And God says, I love you so much that I want to change you and use you to bring this to those who are longing for comfort. And I want for you to be a people who who don't say, this is how comfort is. Look, you can soil yourselves. This is what it looks like. No, I want for you to be a church that goes out and tells of the comfort of Christ, that in your deepest sufferings, he's not gonna bail. And not only is he not gonna bail, but he knows your suffering, not just by theory, but through experience. That we have this great, beautiful God that says, I want to be your all in all. In fact, I made you for me so you would enjoy me. I made you for what is best. The Spirit gives the power for the gospel to go out. Let me just highlight, I won't read these. Um, Colossians 1, this letter to church in Colossae, um, says this, no, nope, that's not it. Colossians 1, let me read this because this is, this is beautiful. Colossians 1 uh, verse 5 says, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This gospel is, is growing in us and like something that, like if you think about a potted plant or tree, at some point it gets too big, you have to change the pot and this is what the gospel does, it keeps growing in us and needs to expand into new places so that more people would understand who Jesus is and what he's done. And so what do we do? What do we do with all this? You know what? The spirit didn't give us power so that we could play church. He didn't. He didn't give us power so that we could keep up a reputation and manage something. I hope no one really finds out what's going on. The spirit gave us power so that the church would keep multiplying and moving not through institutions, but through people, people. So what do we do? What do we do? Uh, can you go to Revelation 3, 2 and 3? This clicker's not working. Wake up, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it, repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, listen, before I, I go into this, we're almost done. Um, let me say this uh, from the wise words of the cast of Toy Story 2. Uh, if the boot fits, okay? If the boot fits. Some of you, this isn't gonna apply to you. 
So don't, don't put yourself in a place of guilt and like, oh man, yeah, this is what I needed. I'm living, like, if this isn't you, then don't apply this in this way, right? So, but if it is you, if it is you, then listen to the kindness of God to you this morning. He's offering out a different way. And he says, wake up, wake up. Do you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't coddle disobedience. He doesn't reward disobedience. In, in rebellion, God doesn't pick us up. And he's like, oh, they're there, little rebel. Like, keep going. He doesn't do that. He's a kind father who says, wake up. Some of us are offended when God or someone within the church would say, hey, wake up. But do you know what? Every single day, you probably use one of these smart things to wake up. Right? How many of you use an alarm? How many of you every day say, when it goes off, you can't judge me. <laughs> You're not so smart. Stopwatch you. You know, like, snooze you. I'm in control. Right? You don't do that. It's an alarm. It's a wake up. Because we can't sleep all day. This is the same thing. Hey, wake up. Recognize this is the kindness of God. Don't be offended. Be thankful that God does this. That he comes at us to say, wake up. I love you so much. I want for you to wake up and experience what I'm going to do. Uh, I went to a Dave Matthews Band concert one time uh, before meeting Jesus. Uh, that has no relevance. In that. But like, I, I would just follow Dave Matthews around, right? Get this. Parking lot, like partying ahead of time. I, one day, one day, middle of the day, I fall asleep. Guess who comes by in a golf cart seeing fans? Dave Matthews. One time I fell asleep, middle of the afternoon, Dave Matthews comes by my friends, all the people online talking all about that, missed it. What good friends to not wake me up to experience that, right? But imagine the glory of Jesus moving in the city. And he says, wake up, church. I'm here. I want to use you to help demonstrate and declare who I am to the rest of this city. Strengthen what remains, Jesus says. They didn't lose their identity. They didn't lose it. Your identity still remains. You need to now flex these muscles again. There's a difference uh, between um, being a runner, calling yourself a, a runner, and, and running. Uh, I haven't ran in the past two and a half months. Two and a half months ago, I would have said, yeah, I'm a runner. Uh, injury, illness, uh, struggling with alarm at points, uh, haven't been running. So I went back this week, started running, and I got home, and I'm like, I would not call myself a runner. <laughs> like, I am I am struggling to run again like I'm I'm running um but but I'm not going to nail that identity down on that but just the opposite of true of the gospel we're given an identity and then told to live out of that now you are a runner and because you are a runner now you're going to run right so so you are a child of God now be a child of God go and do these things because you already are this you don't have to work for an identity so strengthen what remains. Work out of that. Begin flexing these muscles. Remember and repent. Repenting is just turning. Turn back to the one who is of all value. That God wants this dynamic relationship with you. You, you would love, uh, there's someone out there that you would love a dynamic relationship with. But God is saying, hey, you, I want a dynamic relationship with you. Jonathan Edwards, one more time. 
One design of God in the gospel is to bring us to make God the object of our undivided respect, that he may engross our regard every way, that whatever natural inclination there is in our souls, he may be the center of it, that God may be all in all. Remember and repent. Turn back to me. I'm the all in all. Everything you're looking for, that's in me. Don't, don't die. Don't, don't Netflix yourself out. Don't porn yourself out. Don't drink yourself out. Don't soil yourself out. Return to me. Come back to me. I made you for me, and I made you for the city. And Jesus kindly says, if you refuse to, to wake, I'm going to take back what I gave you. If you refuse to wake up, I'm just going to remove what I gave you. Just remove my spirit from the church doesn't mean he removes the spirit from us as individuals. But I believe the spirit wants to work through us collectively as a church and wants to do that in Sardis as well. That if you don't wake up, if you're not about what I'm about, then I'll just actually remove the power that would move this forward. But here's the good news is we can ask the spirit to rouse this in us now. Spirit, would you do that? Would you awaken our hearts to this? See, Jesus is jealous for our best, and the best is his reputation and our enjoyment of him. And we'll end with the promises. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So the one who conquers, I'm gonna change your soiled garments, and I'm gonna put you in white. I'm going to put you in white, which is the, the righteous clothing that I earned for you. I'll never blot your name out of the, the book of life. What would happen in ancient cultures if you did a crime so bad you needed to be executed for, they would often blot your name out of citizen's role. You didn't exist. That's pretty harsh. Jesus says, that's not, that's not what I'm like. That's not what I'm like. I'm not going to blot your name out. I'm not going to blot your name out. I'm not going to let anyone take you from me. No one's going to be able to snatch you out of my hands. I, I'm the lamb who came to lay down my life for you, and I'm the lion who's coming back to take you for myself. And so how do we respond to this? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Church 21, do we hear? Do we hear? Do we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church of Sardis and applying it in the ways that need to be applied for us? Are we alive? Are we really alive? Or is it just our reputation that's carrying us? Do we have a reputation? And whatever reputation we have, we're saying, ah, it's good enough. It's good enough. We want for Church 21 to be involved in planting about 5,500 churches in Quebec over the next 38 and a half years. I don't, I don't want to be good enough. It'll be good enough when, when every person in, in Quebec, man, woman, and child, and in Canada, this still won't be good enough at this point, but it could be good enough that they have a regular daily encounter with Jesus through his people. And in order to do that, we need to plant a lot of churches. We need to see a lot of people meet Jesus. We need to equip a lot of people. So are we alive or are we just about our reputation? Reputation of lots of whatever. Do we focus on Jesus' work 
or ours? Are we like the, the candlestick that we've said, Spirit, good enough up to this point. Don't need you. Or do we say, Spirit, would you ignite us again? <laughs> we need you to do this. I, I need you to make it through today. I need you to, to, to have boldness and courage and knowledge and wisdom and discernment to, to be able to speak and, and share and demonstrate who you are. I need you. Or are we here and we're just soiled with comfort? We're just okay with that. I've been praying that, that the Lord's wave, his gentle, kind wave would nudge our boat in a way that we say, ah, we've been going the wrong way. We don't wanna, we don't wanna live for that. We wanna live for you. I don't wanna make this about me. I wanna make this about you. And the good news, as Jesus said, is he'll remove the soiled clothes from us. Give us his and say, I will be your eternal comfort. So Church 21, all my cards on the table, I'm all in. I wanna be all in on this. I want the spirit to move us. I want the spirit to fill us. I want all the spirit's gifts. Uh, I am not a cessationist at all. I love my cessationist brothers. You're like, brothers and sisters, if you're like, I don't know what cessationism is, great, all right? Like, I am all about the spirit moving the church uh, in this city, in this province, in this nation, in this globe. Did you know that we're starting three churches in Brazil right now? Probably didn't know that. We are, right? There's lots of things happening. The spirit is, is moving all over the place. I want to follow him because as we're following the spirit, sometimes I'll show my schedule or other leaders' schedules to people and they're like, you guys need to slow down. You're, you're going to kill yourselves. You're, you're going to die. And I say, no, 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 no. If this was out of my power, yes. If this was out of our power, yes. But this is what the spirit is leading us towards. This is what the spirit is giving favor and, and, and vision for. We have to run at this. But the spirit has to be the one doing it. So I'm all in. I'm all in. But my prayer at the beginning of, well, it started out as Initiative 22. It's now Church 21. Don't ask, all right? But my prayer at the beginning was that Jesus, if this church ever becomes about us and moves away from you, would you close us down? Because I don't want to do my thing. And it's been growing. And we've planted churches and we want to keep planting churches and we want to see more and more and more people meet Jesus. But it's going to be all of us. It's not just me. It's not a few people. It's all of us. We're all part of his mission to see all things reconciled to God through Christ. So I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna respond. God, thank you that, that you love us so much that you would come to us in our rebellion while we were sinners, while we were against you, and you would make us children. You would make us your servants. You would put us on your mission. Thank you that, that you are for us. You're not against us. Thank you that you give the kind wake-up call uh, to, to your kids. Thank you that you're not a God who is working out of condemnation or guilt or, or wrath this morning for your people, but one of grace and mercy. It's like Christmas every day with you. We just keep giving more of your spirit to us. So spirit, would you lead us during this time? It's so exciting, Jesus, that you're alive. Spirit, would you convince our hearts that that's true? Would you convince us that really we are the ambassadors of reconciliation sent into every nook and cranny of this city, of this province, of this country, so that you would be known, so that your name would be renowned, so that you would be the all in all, and that we would rally around you. Spirit, whatever work you need to do here this morning, please do it. It's, it 
all yours. This church is yours. We want to be the, the candlestick, the lampstand with you burning on top of it. All of, all of the, the aromas that are smelled, all of the wax that is melting, all of the beauty that a candle is, is because you are the one that's working. And so would you make Jesus beautiful in our hearts and minds this morning? I pray for those who don't yet know Jesus. If they're here, would you cause them to see that, Jesus, you love them so much that you came to die in their place, to, to rise and offer real life, forgiveness, friendship, family, things that they can't earn on their own. Would you, would you have them respond and be brought into your family this morning? So we love you and we need you for everything, Jesus. Help us to respond with, with hearts of gladness and joy. We pray this in your name, amen.